My message this morning is called No If, Buts or Maybes. What is it to be a fully committed follower of Christ? Or I think of, I didn't realise this, I think, when I coined this title, but I think I like the idea of fully committing to following Christ because it's committed is something that we've, I think we still have in our minds that we've made that commitment to follow Christ. There's not really anything else we have to do, but actually the commitment to follow Christ is a commitment to continue to commit to follow Christ. So what is it to be fully committing ourselves to following Christ? So I'm going to read from Luke chapter 9, verses 57 to 62. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. If you don't, it's a very short passage, so your attention span should be able to make it for these six verses if you want to follow along and listen to my voice. As they were walking along the road, that is Jesus and his disciples... A man said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus said to another man, Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So let's unpack this passage of scripture, which is a collection of Times when Jesus called people to follow. They may have been in succession at the same time, but they may have happened at different times. But they all have a connection around following Jesus. Either someone declaring their commitment to follow or Jesus actually putting out the call to follow. And the question we have to ask ourselves today is, what does it mean for us to be a follower of Jesus? What is it that we commit to when we make that decision to be one of his disciples because that's the call that's upon our life to be a disciple like the disciples were at the time that actually walked around with Jesus and talked to him face to face we need to be sure what we what we understand the term follow to mean and what does it entail we have to know what we're committing ourselves to and Jesus words let your yes be yes and your no no I think, are most apt in the context of our relationship with him. Is our yes, I will follow you, a yes? Or is it an AFL footballer's yeah, nah? Yeah, nah. (laughs) Or is it a no, yes? You know, I'm a bit hesitant, but then we do. You know, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Jesus is not, and God is not a, a God that wants lukewarm followers. The book of Revelation says that When something's lukewarm, we spit it out of our mouth. There's no room for fence-sitters in the kingdom of God. We're either fully committed or we're not committed. And that's the point that Jesus is making as he responds to each of these who would seek to be his followers. Some people haven't realised that the words Christian and disciple are actually synonymous. You can't be a Christian and not be fully committed to a life of complete surrender and obedience to God. I remember as in my teenage years, I was probably around 14, 13, maybe year nine, 
somewhere around there. And Cliff Richard was big on the charts at those, in those days. I think he might have had a little bit of a resurgence and um, what was that one when he was on the roller skates and going around? You remember that video clip, anyone that's sort of around my age? Um, and my friends at school um, knew that I went to church and, and Cliff Richard had, had sort of come out and declared his, his commitment as a, as a follower of Christ and, and they started sort of asking me about, you know, um, I suppose having a go at Cliff Richard for being a full-on born-again Christian, you know, and, and they were making fun of this, you know, it's okay, it's sort of okay to go to church, but it's not okay if, that, if you're a full-on follower of Jesus Christ, because that's a little bit way out there. And I, I remember having this inner turmoil happening in my life. Was I going to say, oh, yeah, I, yeah, I don't really, I'm not really one of those followers, or am I going to say, put my whole lot in with Christ? Now, at that point of my spiritual journey, my faith was not that strong. I was a churchgoer. I was a believer, but I don't really think I was a follower. <laughs> and it was sort of a crucial point in my life because at that point I didn't, I didn't put my hand up and say, yes, I'm with Cliff Richard. I'm, I'm a born-again believer. I'm a full-on follower of God. I sort of joined in their mocking of that, of, that, of that image. But it wasn't long after that that God encountered me in a very real way and I did become a fully committed follower of his. But that was a crucial point in my life. And sometimes it's those points of denial, it's sometimes those points of failure that actually become crucial points in our commitment to be a follower of Christ. Dallas Willard, um, in his book Spirit of the Disciplines, um, I suppose points out the sometimes shallowness in our commitment uh, to be followers of Christ. He says, one is not required to be or to intend to be a disciple in order to become Christian. And one may remain a Christian without any signs of progress toward or in discipleship. So, so far as the visible Christian institutions of our day are concerned, discipleship clearly is optional. Churches are therefore filled with undiscipled disciples. Most problems in contemporary churches can be explained by the fact that members have not yet decided to follow Christ. Wow, that, that's a really challenging statement. Now, he's writing in the context of the American church, but I think this is true for uh, many of our churches in Australia, that our churches are filled with members who haven't yet decided to follow Christ in the sense of where our understanding of follow as we talk about it today. What does Jesus mean by follow when he asks someone to follow him? Discipleship is about following Jesus. It's about knowing him. It's about being intimately connected with him. In Luke chapter 6, verse 40, it says, Students are not above their teacher, but all who are fully trained will be like their teacher. And this is, I think, where we get the understanding of a, a follower of Christ is one who is becoming Christ-like, who is becoming more like Christ each day as they follow and as they uh, are obedient. So let's now look at, go back to our text and we're going to look at each of these three interactions that Jesus had with these people and talk about what Jesus understood by the word follow. First we have the interaction with the person that says, I will follow you wherever you go. They were walking down the road and a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, 
Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. The call to follow is risky and it's costly and we need to make sure that we're ready to count the cost. Possibly this person has heard about the notoriety of Jesus. Jesus has been going around preaching and large crowds have been attracted to him. And this person wants to get on the bandwagon with the latest rabbi who has something to say that's creating a bit of, uh, a, bit of a crowd following. But Jesus was sort of pointing out, if you want to follow me, it's a little bit different from maybe following some of the other rabbis as a disciple of them. Because following Jesus was following a prophet, an uncertain existence with no fixed address, where rejection was probably a given. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So if you want to follow me, be prepared for a rough journey. (laughs) Be prepared for something unpredictable, something unknown, something maybe a little bit unsettling, because that's the life that Jesus is really calling us to. In Luke 9, 22 to 23, Jesus said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. We have to be prepared to count the cost, to consider the cost, and maybe showing my age, I'm going to quote from a Steve Camp song called Consider the Cost. I don't know, does anyone else know Steve Camp apart from me? Maybe there's a few, right? Christian songwriter of the maybe 80s and 90s. But the chorus of his song, Consider the Cost, goes like this. Consider the cost of building a tower. It's the narrow way that you must come. For to do the will of the Father is to follow the Son. Will you love him more than your mother or brother? Will you love him more than even your own flesh? To give all that you are for all that he is, this is the gospel according to Jesus. This is what it is to follow, to consider the cost, to weigh it up and to choose to follow regardless of the consequences. Erwin McManus in his book Seizing Your Divine Moment says, Jesus is inviting us on a divine adventure He's calling us to be spiritual pioneers, explorers, or even warriors. To respond to this calling is to accept that you will be a sojourner, relinquishing the security of being a settler. To follow him is to choose to forever be an alien and a stranger in this world. And I like this juxtaposition he makes between the sojourner and the settler. The security of the settler, it's comfortable, it's safe, it's where we know... Um, and we, we don't venture too far out from the things that we know and the things that we're comfortable with. But the life of a sojourner is one that's unpredictable, that's unknown, that, that is a little bit uncomfortable sometimes. And we take risks and we step out in faith. And I think this is a helpful understanding of what it is to be a follower. Not that it's wrong to be settled, <laughs> and there's times for settledness, but I think to be a follower of Christ is to always be open to something new, always be open Um, to something changing in our lives. Even the Apostle Paul didn't know where he was going 
or what he should do at different points of his life. And in Acts 16, verses 6 to 10, we read of Paul and his companions travelling throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia and having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Then they came to the border of Mysia and they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Paul didn't know always where he was going, but he did know why he was going. And I think that's the crucial point of the follower of Jesus. We may not know where it is that Jesus would be taking us. We don't know specifically what it is is that he's asking us to change in our lives, that, that he's asking us to be obedient to and leave behind. But we do know why we've decided to follow Jesus. Because like Paul, the true follower has a compass that's directed to the heart of God. The compass doesn't have north, east, south and west. It just has the heart of God and we're heading in that direction. And wherever that takes us, we're open to that. We need to be fueled and driven by the passion and urgency that God has placed on our hearts, as it it was with Paul. And so to follow Christ is to accept a life of uncertainty. Are you ready to accept uncertainty? Maybe that doesn't sound too tantalising. (laughs) But if I think if we're reading Jesus' words correctly, that's what he's saying. It's important to note what God does promise and what he doesn't. He promises we can be certain about who he is and we can be certain about our relationship with him, but how the journey plays out is full of uncertainties. What does God promise? He promises that he will always be with us. He promises that he will always love us. But beyond that, there's faith. So to follow Jesus is to enter the unknown to relinquish security and exchange certainty for confidence in him. I love this quote from McManus. So he had this, uh, the sojourner and the settler, and now he's talking about exchanging certainty for confidence. Can you see the difference there? We can be confident that God is in control. We can be confident that God loves us. We can be confident that God has the best in store for us if we choose to throw our complete lot in with him. Shane Claiborne says, being a Christian is about choosing Jesus and deciding to do something incredibly daring with your life. So let's come back to this person who declared their readiness to follow Jesus. I wonder if these words of commitment came a little bit too easy for this would-be disciple. Does he really know what he's committing himself to? The attraction of power and greatness may have been what drew him to Jesus. And if we look at some of the interplay amongst the disciples, we can see that that was a temptation for them as well. I want to read a story from Shane Claiborne from his book, The Irresistible Revolution. And he reflects on his own teenage years of growing up in the church. He said, In middle school, I had a sincere conversion experience. Our youth group took a trip to a large Christian festival with bands, speakers and late-night pranks. One night, a short, bald preacherman gave an invitation to accept Jesus and nearly our whole youth group went forward, crying, sobbing and hugging people we didn't know. I was born again. The next year, we went to that same festival and most of us went forward again and got born again, again. 
It was so good the first time, he puts in brackets. In fact, we look forward to it every year. I must have been born again six or eight times. It was great every time. But then you start to think there must be more to Christianity, more than just laying your life and sins at the foot of the cross. We get told what to lay off, but not many preachers are telling us what to pick up. I was just another believer. I believed all the right stuff, that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died and rose again. I had become a believer, but I had no idea what it meant to be a follower. I had become a believer, but I had no idea what it meant to be a follower. Let's look at the second person in our text today. Follow me, but let me go and bury my father. Seems like a noble uh, gesture, you know, like something that would be quite okay. But Jesus' response is quite terse, really, isn't it? Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. There's a couple of possible interpretations of why Jesus responded the way he did. The first is that in New Testament times, a deceased Jewish person had two burials. The first was normally within a day after their death, they were put into a, uh, wrapped and put into a family burial cave. The second burial was often normally a year or more later when the body had decomposed and there were just bones left. And those bones were collected and put into a stone chest and then buried again in a separate area with all of their ancestors and relatives and those sorts of things. So it's possible that this person was saying, I have this time now, my father has passed away, I've now got to wait until the second burial and then once that's done, then I'll be free to follow you. The other option of what's going on here, and we are reading into the text a little bit, but it's possible that the father was not dead. The text doesn't say that his father was dead. He just said, let me go and bury my father. Well, you might imply that he's dead. (laughs) But maybe not dead yet because... Again, another Jewish tradition was that if he was the first son, that he would be due the inheritance of the father. And if he'd left the family home to follow Jesus, he would essentially be leaving his inheritance. And so he's saying, let me go back home until my father dies, (laughs) receive my inheritance, and then I'll be ready to follow you. So I think either of these interpretations would... Um, help us to understand Jesus' response because both of these, if the, both of these scenarios were the scenario, then this person is putting something else ahead of their complete commitment to be a follower of Christ. And Jesus' words were, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. What is important is that we proclaim the kingdom of God now. Following Christ or the call to follow is all-encompassing. It involves submission of every sphere of our lives. It means living the kingdom of God through our lives in every moment. Following Christ is not the first priority among many. It's the only priority. And then that priority should permeate everything we do and all that we are. 
It's a decision we make now. We don't put it on lay-by. <laughs> yeah, I don't quite have enough. I can't quite pay that cost right now, Jesus, but can I just put that follow on lay-by and then I'll be ready to pay that cost in a little while. It doesn't really work like that. You've got to have the cash of your life ready to hand over to Jesus and to follow him completely. It has to cost you something. So it can't be I'll follow you when or I'll follow you but or I'll follow you if. It's just I will follow you in all things at all times from now. Because in our lives it's easy to make that claim to be a follower. It's easy sometimes even to appear to be doing the right thing and to look like a follower. But it's actually another thing to do it. And hollow promises to God are no promises at all. The task of the Christian consists of transposing Christ into our daily existence, into our daily decision-making, into our daily practices. Neil Cole, in his book, I can't remember which one it was, it might be Organic Church, he says, we need to lower the bar of how church is done and raise the bar of what it means to be a disciple. But many of our current practices seem to be the wrong way around. We seem to make church far too complex, and discipleship too easy. Shane Claiborne, who I quoted from before, he talks about this idea in the context of Jesus' encounter with the rich young ruler. After Jesus' teaching that you must enter the kingdom of lo- a kingdom like a little child, a wealthy man comes up and asks Jesus what he needs to do. And Jesus tells him that he lacks one thing, And what might that one thing be? You can almost see the man getting excited and then Jesus drops the big one. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. The man's face sinks and he walks away with his riches. I think it broke Jesus' heart to let that man walk away. The text says that Jesus looks at him and loves him as he walks away. But Jesus doesn't run after him saying, hey, it's a journey. Just give half, or maybe start with 10%. He simply lets the man choose his wealth. The great temptation is to compromise the cost of discipleship in order to draw a larger crowd. I think, this is Claiborne's words, I think this is why the disciples react as they do. They protest in awe. Who then can be saved? Why must you make it so hard, Jesus? We need some rich guys here. We're trying to build a movement. And yet Jesus let him walk away. The call to follow is all-encompassing. It's not 50%. It's not 10%. It's all of who we are. To follow is to follow in all areas of our lives. And that will mean that we need to change. We need to keep changing both our priorities and our actions so that all we do comes into connection with God's will and his kingdom. Spirituality is not a commitment to do a 20-minute quiet time each day and go to a meeting of the church once a week. It's a 24-7 commitment and it must permeate all we do and say. Prayer must be continual, not compartmental. McManus says, in our, our, sorry, our lives are to be a continuous conversation with God, 
This kind of prayer is one where we are sensitive to every prompting and whisper of God. We are not only informing God, but God is informing us. He is an active and intimate participant in our daily choices. I like that. So prayer is about not only informing God, but God informing us. In our uh, home church um, that uh, I lead, and we have a, a number of families that are part of that, we've been working through um, Richard Foster's book, Celebration of Discipline. And, and when we meet, uh, we go look at the particular spiritual discipline and we talk about it and try to understand it. And then for the next two weeks, we try and put that discipline into practice. And then we come back and then we reflect back to each other our experiences of in, uh, connecting with God through those disciplines. And it's been, it's been a, a, a great uh, start to the year. We've been doing it for four months now. And I think that's what we're noticing, that we've just talked about prayer and that prayer is more than than sitting down and talking to God it's 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 connecting with God and listening to him as much as it is talking to him so to follow Jesus is to follow where he went and engage with the people that he engages with let's move to the third person in this uh, text another person said I'll follow you but let me go and say goodbye to my family again that sounds very noble and again, Jesus' response is quite firm. No one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. There's not even time in Jesus' mind to go and say goodbye to your family. Again, we may have a similar scenario than we talked about previously in terms of saying goodbye to my family might be something more than just walking back to the village and saying farewell and going. It may be a lot longer period of time for that. But what this interaction uh, reminds me of is the interaction between Elijah and Elisha when God asked Elijah to anoint Elisha as the new prophet. And we read about this in 1 Kings 19. Elijah went from where he was and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat. He was ploughing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. The throwing of the cloak was the, the anointing and the recognition that Elisha was to, to take over from Elijah. Elisha left his oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come to you. I'll come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the ploughing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and become his servant. For Elisha, for Elisha, the going back and saying goodbye was actually not about saying goodbye. It was actually about saying goodbye to the life that he had, to the commitments that he had to be fully committed to following God's call. Because what he did by slaughtering his oxen and burning the ploughing equipment was essentially burning his bridges. Uh, he was removing the temptation to go back to anything different. He was not, he was now not like he was, when he was playing a field, he would be looking forward so that he would keep that furrow straight, so that he would maximise the amount of space he had to grow his crops and to get the best harvest. But now, literally, he's 
focused on following his new commitment to follow God, to be God's prophet, he can't look back because there's nothing to look back on anymore. There's no former life of working in the fields because he has no oxen. I mean, the, the enormity of that act, we probably don't understand, that his livelihood was found in those animals that were trained. His livelihood was found in that equipment that was probably handed down and, and, and very expensive. But he made that commitment. And I think this is maybe Jesus is hearkening back to that story about what it is to follow. What it is to follow is to be completely focused on God, to be looking forward and to not be looking back at what we've left behind. The call to follow is a call to journey in relationship with God through Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. It is a journey. We will laugh, we will cry, we will celebrate, we will mourn, but through it all, we will be growing closer to Christ. We should know him better today than we did yesterday. Our love should be deeper each day if we're truly following. Our faith will be tested. That is a given. But if we've counted the cost, then our response to that call would, when we received our first love from God will call us back. The road may be difficult at times, and narrow. We won't always know what's around the corner or over the hill. That's the uncertainty of the journey. But we know that that road that we're on is reinforced with hope, peace, joy and love and that it won't crumble under our feet. That's the promise that God gives us. So don't look back. Commit yourself to the journey and be prepared to count the cost. That's my challenge to you today if you're ready to take that up, to know what it is to follow and to take that step of faith to follow regardless of the cost. Amen.